0: Look forward to celebrating those together today and throughout the week and the time that we can be together. And we're just thankful for your attendance this evening. Throughout the last month or so, we've been looking at a series of lessons and we've talked about being uh, what it would be like when you're in a movie, but you don't always get top billing. You know, your name is not always one that's on the front. And sometimes when we look at pictures like this, you may recognize some of the movies as we've talked about some of the things along the lines there. And some of those may be favorite movies of yours, and you may be able to name all the stars that are in a particular movie, but you know, Julie Andrews Julie andrews wasn't the only one that was in Mary Poppins. There were lots of other people that it took to get the movie made. We talked last week or a couple weeks ago about some of the different people who are involved in a movie and, and you know, the things that have to take place. If you've ever walked upon a movie set, it's pretty amazing to think about what all goes into a movie being made, and certainly among the hundreds and maybe even sometimes thousands of names that are in the credits of a movie. There are lots of people that would feel like, you know, no one even knows I'm there. No one even understands that I had a part in the making of this movie. The point we've made through all of these lessons about being lost in the credits, of course, is the idea that ordinary people can be, have been, and can continue to be made extraordinary by God. We sometimes feel just like a very small piece of the puzzle. We sometimes feel like no one knows who we are or nothing that we do makes any difference in the world. But when we look at the Bible, we recognize that there are lots and lots of folks who've been made extraordinary by God, even though they felt ordinary. You know, I'm reminded of the words at the end of John's account of the gospel about the fact that, of course, it's speaking mainly of Jesus, but if all the things were written down of what Jesus had done, even in his short time here on this earth, the the books of the world couldn't even contain it. So what do you think is going to happen when we think about the entire Bible? And so we think about people who are unnamed. We mentioned before the, the, the young slave girl who talked to Naaman. What about people whose name are mentioned only one time? And you know, some people might say, well, I'm not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. I'm not Paul. I'm not Peter. There's nothing that I can do. It it doesn't make a difference what I try. But yet, we should recognize, and that's been the goal throughout these lessons, is that we can have an impact. And yes, everyone in the church may not know our name. We may not be on the front of the, the latest publication or magazine. But we can make an impact on one person, possibly. And have an encouragement to someone and help someone maybe to become a Christian. And that's worth more than we can even begin to count. As we think about people who are lost in the credits tonight, we're going to think for a moment about the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch. But not that one. We're going to talk about the other Ethiopian eunuch. Not the one that you think you know, because that one's good too, but there's another Ethiopian eunuch. And if you've got your Bible, you can actually be turning to Jeremiah 38. And if you've got your outline in front of you, that is the passage there. The the person's name we'll get to in just a moment. But this is the passage there in your outline uh, in Jeremiah 38, 7 through 13. Because we are going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, but there is another one. And if you check out what we put on Facebook from time to time, a little sermon preview this week uh, on Saturday morning, I kind of put the sermon topics and on purpose in there. I said we're on Sunday night. We were going to talk about an Ethiopian eunuch because it's not the one that, you know, the one that, you know, is found in Acts chapter eight, of course, and he is he's a great example when we're talking about being lost in the crash, we're talking about examples of people. And the Ethiopian eunuch or the Ethiopian nobleman that is found in Acts chapter 8 is a great example. Most of us can tell every bit of his story. You probably heard lots of lessons on that. One I've heard before dealt with the idea of open. The Ethiopian eunuch there, of course, in Acts chapter 8, there was an open mouth that was involved. There was an open Bible, of course, as he was studying, had his Bible open, or of course, actually, a, you know, an Old Testament scroll, but an open Bible, if you will. He had an open mind. We recall there in Acts chapter 8, as Philip, you know, approaches him and asks, do you understand? And he, he has an open mind. He says, how can I understand unless someone's going to show me? Of course, there is the open com- confession that he makes, there, as he says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and an open conversion there out in the open of course for anyone could see he didn't have to hide it but then there was certainly the open rejoicing as he went on his way probably not very quietly or hunched over or silently celebrating but rejoicing openly openly rejoicing for what had just happened to him what he had just done the Ethiopian eunuch here in Acts chapter 8 is a great example, and a good Ethiopian eunuch, but that's not the one we're going to talk about tonight. When we think about the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 37 and verse 5, as we talk a little bit about the background of who we're going to talk about tonight, Babylon was besieging, of course, surrounding, blockading, getting ready to attack, just fully take over the city of Jerusalem. And Babylon received news that Egypt was coming from the south to help Jerusalem, So they temporarily stopped. They said, we've got to stop for right now. Let's go back and we're going to have to attack or fight Egypt. And of course, as those in Jerusalem were hoping, as the siege is lifted, that they would be set free maybe, that they would forget about it. They would waste all of their account, all of their time on the Egyptians, and they wouldn't worry about the city of Jerusalem. But as we think about the history of what's taking place here, Uh, During this time, Jeremiah prophesied that Babylon would return and destroy Jerusalem. Now, as we talk about the prophets and we understand uh, about the Old Testament, you know, they they were spokesmen for God. They, They were people who were not only just telling the future, maybe sometimes, but as well telling things of God, the words that God would give them, and yet largely they were ignored. Well, here the people are hoping are hoping that Babylon's going to go on and fight Egypt and not worry about them. But Jeremiah is saying, by the word of the Lord, that's not going to be the case. Babylon will return and they will destroy Jerusalem. And of course, as he is going around and he is saying some of these things, thus says the Lord, Jeremiah is arrested there at the end of chapter 37, beginning about verse 11. And as we get down to verse 16, when Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, he was arrested. He was charged with being a traitor. Now, as we think about what's taking place with Jeremiah here, it sounds a lot like what we go through sometimes today, or at least the way that we feel. We feel that people, even though we're speaking the truth, don't want to hear it. So many times they'll just try to cut us down. And if they could imprison us, they would. But of course, we have some freedom of speech here. We have freedom of speech here. And and that's not necessarily a concern. But they'll certainly attack your character. You know, if you say something against me, well, I'm just going to try to tear you down where nobody will believe you or hear what you have to say. Jeremiah's arrested. He's charged with being a traitor. But that's simply because he's saying the things they don't want to hear. He's simply saying the truths they don't want to have to face. And so at this time, King Zedekiah is reigning, and he sends for Jeremiah, and Jeremiah tells him the bad news through the rest of chapter 37, and specifically verses 37 and on into chapter 38. So the king, as oftentimes kings did during this time, he he listens to the foolish counsel, he listens to not the man of God, not the person who's speaking the word of the Lord, but those who would just tell him what he wants to hear. And the king decides to imprison Jeremiah once again. And as we see at the end of chapter 37 and verse number 21, then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison and that they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker's street until all the bread in the city was gone. Thus, Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now, you know they're under siege I mean they they have been being attacked they are you know trying to protect themselves there's not a lot there of course every person is kind of fighting over what's left as they are trying to finish defending themselves and even as Jeremiah is speaking the word of God the word of the Lord telling them what God wants them to know that this is what's going to happen they refuse to hear it Even as we think about later in the book of Acts, there is those people would stop up their ears, essentially. I I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And so Jeremiah is put in prison by King Zedekiah. And so we come to chapter 38, and we meet our Ethiopian eunuch. His name is Ebedmelech, or however it may be pronounced, or maybe a hyphen in there in your Bible or not. But our Ethiopian eunuch here, Ebedmelech, defends Jeremiah. And let's read together the account here for us, and then we'll make application to ourselves. Beginning in verse number 7. Now when Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebedmelech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. Whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Verse 10. Then the king commanded Ebedmelech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from hence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. Verse number 11. So, Ebedmelech took the men with him, and went into the house of the king under the treasury, and took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags, and let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. And Ebedmelech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. And then verse 13, So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So very quickly there, we read about Ebedmelech, our Ethiopian eunuch for tonight's lesson as we think about being lost in the credits. I don't know if you could have told me before this lesson that there was an Ethiopian, another Ethiopian eunuch or that this was the case where he was found, but he stands up for Jeremiah, since essentially, and goes to the king. And like a lot of kings did, did then, and even some kings and those in charge do today, he kind of begins to waffle. He goes back and forth. He, he commits Jeremiah to prison. Then, then the Ebedmelech comes to him, and he says, Well, okay, maybe, maybe you're right. Go get 30 men and go get him out. And so they kind of go back and forth a little bit uh, as Zedekiah is trying to understand and decide exactly what to do with Jeremiah. But Ebedmelech is our Ethiopian eunuch for tonight. And even in this short story tonight, we want to take a few practical lessons from him and make application to ourselves. Number one tonight, he knew the difference between right and wrong. He knew the difference between right and wrong. Does that sound like such a big deal to you? Maybe, maybe not. We think about Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20 Woe to those, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter and even on into verse 21 woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight you say wait a minute surely nobody would call evil good and good evil Do we need to go back through some of the things we've talked about in lessons recently? Do we need to go through the political news of the day or the things that take place in our country? Because I would submit to you there are a lot of things that God calls wrong or evil that the world calls right or good or okay. Certainly it was a problem then and it certainly is a problem today that people when they want to do what they want to do don't understand anymore the difference between right and wrong. Sometimes it's very easy, we think, to teach it to kindergartners. But it's not so easy sometimes to teach it to adults. Because we get in our own head the way that we want to live and the things that we want to do. The Apostle Paul talked about the same idea, of course, in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and through 22. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without Excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And even on over into what we know, verses 26 and 27, about God giving them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And going on even down into verse 27. We would think, and this would seem like an easy concept that people could understand, right and wrong. But how often today does our world get it backwards? Evil for good, good for evil, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Seems like today we're very confused on what is right and what is wrong. And as the point has even been made in our adult class over here the last few Sunday mornings, the problem is we get away from God's definition of right and wrong. We get away from what God has told us we should be doing and should be avoiding. And when man does what is right in his own eyes, then we have this confusion. Does it seem like a big deal that Ebedmelech knew right from wrong? Not necessarily, until we think about the world that we live in even today. And of course, the words of John in 3 John verses 9 through 11. As John is is writing here to the beloved Gaius, he says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence. Excuse me, I'm in 3rd John, 2nd John, 9 through 11. John says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Again, are we using the world's definition or God's definition? He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Right and wrong. When the little sign is up on the kindergarten wall, it's a little easy sometimes to understand right from wrong. When we get into what we want to be doing, what what I prefer to, to do, the way I want to live... All of a sudden, there's lots of gray area in the world around us. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. I said it this morning at the end of the lesson, and we've said it lots of times, but but God makes it very simple oftentimes, and we complicate it by wanting to do what we want to do. Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian eunuch that we see in Jeremiah 38, might be considered lost in the credits. One of the things that he did was he knew the difference Between right and wrong. Number two this evening. He had concern for another in the midst of his own personal trouble. He had concern for another in the midst of his own personal trouble. How often do we show concern for others? That's a little bit of a bad question right now. Because of what this congregation is getting ready to go through. We're getting ready to show concern for others and help people out. But Ebedmelech, of course, as a servant, a servant in the king's house, had the opportunity to speak up. But he also had the opportunity maybe to have his head lopped off as speaking out of turn if he wasn't careful. And even with all that was going on in Jerusalem with the besieging and the taking over by Babylon and then, of course, pulling back and, and what was going on with Jeremiah. He had his own things going on. He could have stayed out of the way, but he had concern for another We think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, when he is asked, what is the great commandment in the law? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And number two, number two, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the first few lessons that I presented here as we thought about things together. And and one of the first sermons, I may have even been that very first Sunday night back in August. The golden rule. Do we show concern for others? Sometimes it's easy, and we do. Other times we have our own trouble going on, but even then, do we recognize the second greatest command is that we love our neighbor as ourselves? We think about the words of the Apostle Paul again to the Romans, this time in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. We live in a society that is me first, me first. What can I do? What do I need? How can I step over others to get what I want? Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Is that the way that we choose to live? Not only certainly for those within the church, not only with for the brothers and sisters that we assemble with here together, but for others that we come in contact with. You see, this Ethiopian eunuch was, was probably out of place. You know, He's probably not in a very comfortable situation in his life. And yet he's willing to speak up. He's willing to show concern for another even when he might be putting his own life on the line. And of course, again, Paul said it in so many different places, but Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Unity that we should be striving for. The unity that we should have comes through the humility that we have in reaching out to one another, encouraging one another, and showing concern for one another. It's not always easy with all that we have going on. Don't get me wrong. We live in a very, very busy society. We all seem to be going many different places all throughout the week at many different times. In our different age levels and different situations, we all have different things going on. But we can show concern for one another. You see the point, we're going to make it again in just a moment at the end, but the point of this entire series, including Ebed-Malek, we're not asking you to be a superhero. We're just simply asking you to do some of the simple things. God is saying, show concern for one another, even sometimes in the midst of your own personal trouble. And if you can can do that and learn that from Ebedmelech, we're going to be better people in encouraging those around us. And then finally this evening, the practical lessons we can learn from this Ethiopian eunuch, his concern led him to action. Our last point was a good one. That's good that we show concern or we have concern, but does our concern lead us to action we think about James and actually if you'll uh, look at Luke chapter 10 first of all we'll come back to James in just a moment and you'll see why but in Luke chapter 10 verses 29 through 37 we have the familiar story of the certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and in verse number 33 we read about a certain Samaritan a certain Samaritan who could have done the same thing Who could have done the very same thing and passed by? Who could have done this very same thing and said, Oh man, I really hate that for that guy laying there on the side of the road. But you know, I I got things going on. I got places to be. It's great that we have concern for one another and for others around us. But does that lead us to action? Luke chapter 10 verses 29 through 37. We read a very simple story of someone who is concerned enough to go and do something. And again... We're looking at doing something here in this congregation in the next few days. Maybe you've already put some work into it. We're going to put some work into it tonight here in just a few moments. But I would challenge you as I think that Paul would do if he were standing before us tonight or anyone else there, any of the apostles. I would challenge you to do more. To allow your concern to lead you to more action. Not just in a big event or something like this day of caring or day of encouragement. But but in everything that you do. And I'll even confess to you. Brother Bill and I went to a lunch in on Monday with the area of preachers and the main conversation that we had was what do we do about the homeless folks and others who are standing basically on the street corner or at the intersection, you know, begging, asking for things. What do you do? Because we go, we could go down the table and every preacher has a story of how many times he's helped somebody and nobody's ever said a word. Nobody's ever returned back to the building. Nobody's ever done anything. And, of course, the general consensus is we still do what we can as often as we can. Maybe we're careful. We don't just give them cash because we don't know what, we're gonna, what they're going to do with that. But we can feed them a meal. We can give them things from the pantry. We can fill up their car with gas. And it's a struggle because we know many times it won't be returned. Or, or we know they may never darken the doorway. But, of course, as we went around the room and, and person after person can give story after story of helping these folks who, who are in need, The general consensus is we need to keep having the concern and doing as much as we can, showing the action as often as we can in the various ways. If you've got your Bible open, you can look at James chapter 2. And we're actually going to look at a few passages from James to close out our lesson this evening. But James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. The great discussion that the world wants to have is faith and works. It's all about faith, faith only. It's all about works, works only. And James clears it up for us. He talks about faith and he talks about works. Of course, in verse 17, he says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We have to have the works. We can't check off enough boxes to get ourselves into heaven necessarily when we say it that way. But we have to be doing these things. We have to show action. We think as well, of course, back maybe even a page in your Bible, James 1.22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We have to be people of action. In James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is Sin. We have to be people of action. And from this Ethiopian eunuch, we can learn that concern is great, but our concern needs to lead us to action, to doing something. It may be giving up a Saturday. It may be giving up a few dollars. It may be giving up a little bit of our time. It may be giving up a little bit of our comfort and stepping outside of our comfort zone and talking to someone or speaking with someone or helping someone who we might judge to be not in the same category as people we might normally help, or somebody that we would usually do something for. Sometimes we have to even give up our comfort to do these things. You see, tonight, the lesson is very simple. The lesson's very simple. Knowing the difference between right and wrong, having concern, doing things, showing action, that's not hard. But that's the whole point throughout this whole series of lessons. Superheroes need not apply. If you've got a cape, you wear a big S on your chest, you think you're a superhero, don't worry about it. Because all we need is people, men and women, who are willing to do the simple, easy thing. The simple, easy thing from time to time. And Tonight, the question is, what about you? Alright, here's the question that we really can't answer. All right, Here's the question we may not be able to, to say for sure. What would you have done if you were in Ebed-Melech's shoes? Would you have stood up for Jeremiah? I mean, all of us are going to say, yes, yes, absolutely I would. But how many times, if we're in that situation, do we kind of shrink back out of the way and and not stand up, not say something? We can't say for sure. We like to think that we would, but we don't know because we weren't there. But will you stand up for Jesus today? Will you stand up for God and His Word by showing concern, having concern and showing action for others? Again, it's simple. It's not hard. And it doesn't even require lots of money. And it really doesn't even require lots of time. Most of the time. It just requires a little bit. Every day as you come across various situations. This Ethiopian eunuch, Ebedmelech, is lost in the credits because many folks don't even know he's there tucked away in Jeremiah chapter 38. But all he did was what he could do. Show concern. Know the difference in right and wrong and be willing to stand. If you can do that, then then you can do it. You can stand for Jesus. You can stand for God and you can make a difference on those around you that you come in contact with every day. You can't really do that for God, though, unless you are a Christian, a child of God, a part of the family. We're thankful for God's simple plan of salvation that makes it possible. It's one of the great feelings of belonging. As we think about this week, of thanksgiving many of us fit into many different categories some of us are really really excited to see our family maybe some of us are eh, i could do without only having to see them once a year but regardless of how you really feel about your family nobody needs to speak up regardless of how you really feel hopefully you understand what it feels like to be a part of the family of god it's not perfect all right we're not perfect at all in the things that we do but we encourage each other and we sing to encourage each other we pray to encourage each other we do these things like a day of encouragement to encourage each other even as we encourage others around us. And hopefully you know what that feels like because you're a child of God. But if you're not here and you're here tonight, we will be singing in a moment to encourage you that you would obey this simple plan. By being baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church. Maybe you've wandered away. Maybe you know that good feeling, but, but you, the world... Tugs you back, and the feeling of of fun, the the feeling of sin sometimes takes over, and we we fall away from God. We're thankful for His second law of pardon that we can pray for forgiveness. He is willing to do that, and we can again walk in the light as He is in the light. But the thing is, it makes, it it depends upon a change on our part. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to Him. Maybe you're struggling with something else and you need the prayers of this congregation. I was speaking with one of our elders this morning after service was was over about the encouragement of praying for each other. A lot of times we don't want to come forward because we think people are going to point and laugh. It's the exact opposite. If you come forward and you confess sin or you come forward and you need the prayers, it's so that I can go to other people and say, you know what, so-and-so is struggling, but, but I'm willing to help them. They're willing to make a change. So and so did make this mistake. But did you know that they came forward at church and they said they were sorry? They asked for forgiveness from God because even though you might have heard they said that or did that, they knew they were wrong and they've asked God to forgive them. It's not so that we can point and laugh, but it's so that we can lift each other up. And it's why we sing to encourage you even now as we stand together and as we sing.